2: Good morning, it's 8.30 on Friday, September 30th. I'm Michael Gidry in for Desiree Frazier and this is Mississippi Edition on NPP Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi faces an HIV epidemic. We examine what activists are doing to address stigma and discrimination. Then Mississippi and other Gulf states rank near the bottom in climate prep. We look at how states can keep residents safe in severe weather. Plus, what the president's commitment to end food insecurity looks like for the Magnolia State. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is facing a years-long HIV epidemic. According to AIDS View, an interactive online mapping tool by Emory University School of Public Health, Mississippi's per capita rate of HIV infection surpasses the national average. Activists say while medical interventions like PrEP have allowed people living with HIV to lead healthy lives, there are still social stigmas and policy hurdles to clear. Valencia Robinson is with Mississippi in Action. She talks with MPV's Kobe Vance about what groups like hers are doing to tackle policy discrimination.
3: I've been doing HIV work since 2003, HIV testing, education, prevention, uh, but I really realized there was no policy work being done. So it's important because policies, of course, go impact the law. And it's a lot of laws that's impacting people uh, living with HIV and we need to change some of these laws because they're outdated uh, and they cause stigma. And so I, I'm here been doing this work and we're going to keep doing it. And you know, HIV was put on a back burner when COVID came, but people still contracting HIV and people are still dying from HIV. So the awareness is still
0: needed. Can you describe the advocacy scene here in Mississippi when it comes to HIV issues? What are some of the policies y'all have been pushing for? And what are some things that the state could do to you know, make life easier or make it better for people who are living with HIV in the state?
3: Since 2019, we've been trying to work around the criminalization piece. So, in Mississippi, we have a statute: it's criminal uh, HIV disclosure and exposure. Even if you have um, you're living with HIV and you have, are virally suppressed, if you do not disclose to your partner, and the partner find out, they can press charges on you, and they would go to jail, and it will be a felony charge. We also had exposure when people; it was used for uh, correctional officers, but people outside the um, correctional facilities, they use this law, too. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they're spitting this nasty, period. And so, with, uh, personally with HIV, if they spit on a, a, a law enforcement officer, they get a felony in uh, ten, ten, up to 10 years and $10,000 um, fine. And so, it's just its disproportionate. The science, the law doesn't match the science, and we just want them to go in and change that, because it's safe for uh, fluids. It's feces, urine, semen, blood, and saliva. And we know out of the five, only two of the fluids hold HIV, uh, blood and semen. And so we're just starting off, just get those other fluids out of there first of all. And so we can move forward in taking, you know, modern modernizing the, uh, the laws here in Mississippi.
0: Across the nation, we've started to see new attacks on H- people that are living with HIV, especially when it are co- or people that are, have not contracted it, when it comes to PrEP. What could that mean for people who, you know, are at risk for HIV and are living with HIV in Mississippi? If the, if those do start to affect people in the state,
3: well, it's gonna look like you know I say now thank God for Texas, right? So it's gonna it's not gonna look good, but we have to. One thing I don't think people understand is a lot of people are not informed in Mississippi around PrEP. PrEP was uh, promoted for gay men. And so, like a lot of women didn't know about PrEP, it was for them. So, messaging is going to be good. And just to get the education out here, first of all. Second of all, let's look at the reproductive health piece right quick. So, um, just imagine a woman living with HIV or a pregnant person living with HIV gets pregnant. So, that means you had people would assume you had unprotected sex. So, it goes into exposure. And a woman or a pregnant person can be criminalized for that. And so we have to know the laws, try to get ahead of what may come, because we have to look at what's going on in other states. And I'm glad you referenced Texas. We have to look at what's going on in Texas in order to work on or get in front of what may happen in Mississippi.
0: I also wanted to talk about stigma in Mississippi. What do you think could be done to make... Reduce the stigma around HIV and help people understand you know, the actualities when it comes to somebody who does live with it and if what precautions they take already as well as what risks they do, propose, do pose to other people.
3: Okay, so around the stigma piece, we're going to have to have an anti-stigma campaign. We'll have to show people living with HIV hugging, kissing, talking, loving uh, everybody. And so it could work. But the mindset here is still, it was a gay disease. That's how it came out. and that, So now you're gay, you have HIV, or you're going to have it, right? You're going to contract it. So we just a big anti-stigma campaign. But what I would love to see, honestly, around stigma is an anti, a universal anti-stigma campaign because if you're stigmatizing HIV, you're going to stigmatize sex. You're going to stigmatize abortion. And so maybe if we just not put HIV stigmatization, you know, by itself, maybe put it in a, a grander scheme of things. We can work on uh, destigmatizing a whole lot of stuff because at the end of the day, it's the court, is six.
0: Anything else we haven't touched on that you'd like to share with Mississippians about, about you know, this event today or just you know, advocating for people with HIV in general? Okay.
3: Yes. The one thing I want to say is you do not have to be a person living with HIV. You can be impacted but you you don't have to be living with HIV to get involved and that's what a lot of people it goes back into stigma but just get active get educated get tested if you are personally with HIV get into care because we want to keep viral suppression down and so you know people can live healthy lives and not saying because a person has HIV they're not healthy let me let me not say that but you know, the the misconception. People are already healthy, living with HIV, and I think that's what people need to see.
2: Valencia Robinson of Mississippi in Action with our Kobe Vance. Jackson resident L.S. Jones does live with HIV. He says he's able to live a healthy life, but still experiences dated stigmas about the disease.
4: Living with HIV today, I was diagnosed in 2014, right on the cusp of coming into one-pill regimens. When I was diagnosed, we had two one, really two one-pill regimens on the market, and I was able to begin with the first quad pill called StriBil. I had some complications to that medication, but nothing like my counterparts of the 80s and the early 90s and some folks who got diagnosed in the mid-90s, so there were way less side effects, and being diagnosed with HIV in mid 2014 as opposed to 20 years before is a matter of life and death. So today I live a full life. I live as normal a life as anyone else. A normal healthy person, excuse me, normal healthy person CD4 is 500 to 2,000. My CD4 hovers around 1,100 to 1,200 every time I get tested, which means I'm as healthy as, if not healthier, than some other people who are not living with HIV.
0: What does it mean to you to be able to advocate for reducing the stigma as well as the criminalization around HIV in the state? It
4: means that someone else does not have to live with some of the heinous horrors that I've experienced around wanting to express your own human natural desire sexually. not having criminalization laws anymore, I live with the reality that for the first two to three years, I was afraid to engage in any type of relationship because police would believe someone who went and even just made up a story regarding me not disclosing, and that's 30 years in a day felony for the rest of my life. I would have lost my teaching license. I would have lost my career. And so having the information of you equals you and the science over the stigma and being in spaces like this meaning changing these laws. Changing these laws would mean someone else does not live with the fears that myself and others who have lived with HIV even longer, some some of us still deal with that. So it's that's the whole picture. It's making sure that people Ten years from now, don't live with this reality like I've had to live with
2: Jackson resident L.S. Jones. In 2019, the Mississippi Department of Health issued a plan to reduce new HIV infections in the state by 2025. Coming up, Mississippi and other Gulf states rank near the bottom in climate prep. We look at how states can keep residents safe in severe weather. This is Mississippi Edition. On MPB Think Radio.
5: When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877 MPB, the number four, car. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to Autocorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB Car Tag. MPB and Cars, better together.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Gidry. Alabama, Louisiana, and Mississippi rank among the bottom 10 states in the country when it comes to providing housing that's affordable, healthy, healthy, and adapted to a changing climate. That's according to a new source card from a climate change research organization. As the Gulf States newsroom's Taylor Washington reports, activists are hoping the report will give states a roadmap to address growing threats from climate change.
5: Two years ago, the home Cynthia Thomas lived in with her mother and children was completely destroyed. A devastating tornado touched down in Monroe, Louisiana, and left only rubble in its path.
3: The home was completely destroyed. Our cars was in the home, and um it was tragic.
5: The Thomas family managed to survive by hiding in a closet and While it took only a matter of seconds for her life to be uprooted, it would take months for Thomas to get everything back in order.
3: There should have been some type of relief from the federal level and the local government, but there wasn't
5: for starters. Thomas said she barely received any housing assistance or other type of relief. She said all she got was a $500 stipend. Instead, Thomas relied on relief funds from another place, the fundraising website GoFundMe.
3: Well, I basically had to set up a GoFundMe to get new clothes for my children. I wasn't worried about me. I was just worried about their needs.
5: Luckily, they were able to stay with family for a few months until they found permanent housing. As unpredictable weather in the southeast becomes more frequent due to climate change, Stories like theirs are becoming all too common.
2: The twister turned planes around at the Monroe Regional Airport.
6: Power outages and life-threatening floods. Ida made Mississippi. I'm standing on someone's lawn that is flooded out. I'm going to make my way. To... A new
5: scorecard wants to measure how prepared states are to deal with this type of extreme weather and gives tips for how they can improve. What it does is it ranks all the states to evaluate the approach states are taking to providing healthy, affordable, and decarbonized or clean energy housing. That's Sarah Hayes. Hayes is the lead researcher on the new report published by the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy. They call it E for short. The scorecard measures how much time and money states have spent addressing things like affordable housing, bill assistance, and energy utilities. Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama didn't score well. They're in the bottom 10. But Hayes says this doesn't have to be the case. The report suggests that even something as simple as data sharing among different agencies could help states serve their residents better. There is nothing holding the southeast states back. I just want to make that really clear. Andronika Morris, who leads the Greater New Orleans Housing Alliance, agrees. She says politicians have known that climate change has been affecting Louisiana's housing situation for decades. Louisiana's louisianian is why we're in the bottom 10. It is that that failure to address needs from a systemic standpoint. That's the bigger problem. Morris says that a lot of households she works with are in flood-prone areas, struggle with high utility bills, and lack like access to basic resources, like running water. She also says that climate change is only making these things worse. That's why she hopes that the E report can serve as a roadmap for state leaders. We've got achievable goals. Even if we're miles away, we know where we're going. After losing her house to the tornado, Cynthia Thomas left her career in broadcast journalism. She became a program coordinator at the advocacy organization Housing Louisiana. She wants to empower others to hold policymakers accountable.
3: Something that I learned since starting here is basically you have to fight for that because sometimes the one else is going to fight for you.
5: For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Taylor Washington.
2: The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration among MPB and radio stations in Louisiana and Alabama. Coming up, what the president's commitment to end food insecurity looks like for the Magnolia State. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Gidry. President Joe Biden wants to substantially reduce hunger in the United States by 2030. The president held the first conference on hunger since the Nixon administration this week and says he hopes to use policy reform and relationships with private sectors to achieve that lofty goal. Mississippi is the hungriest state in the nation and despite its deep agricultural past is riddled with food deserts. Langston Moore is a regional director for the Society of St. Andrews and a lifelong Mississippian. He says Biden's plan could help the state, but a number of obstacles need to be cleared. He shares more with our Lacey Alexander, beginning with the role the society plays.
1: We work with farms across the state of Mississippi to rescue food that would normally go to waste. The food can be, you know, too big, too small. Um, the wrong color, the wrong shape, the wrong size. It could have blemishes on it. But the deal is the the food is perfectly nutritious. And we rescue millions of pounds of food in Mississippi every year.
6: Awesome. Explain to me why Mississippi's agricultural makeup is different than other states and how these differences might um, help or hurt your cause.
1: Well, I can't really speak from other states only because I'm a lifelong Mississippian. Um, But you know at Mississippi, we have the richest soil in the nation, um especially in the Delta. but it seems like we've shifted a little bit from growing fresh fruits and vegetables to growing the commodity crops because really, I believe that's where the farmers um seek and see um favorability, and you know the market has shifted from fruits and veggies uh like we were um you know when when I was growing up uh it's still an important crop and we still need to feed ourselves, but I think with some generation gaps um, we've we've missed the opportunity to, to continue to do that.
6: Can you explain to me like someone who is very ignorant to the nuances of agriculture, what a mm-hmm. commodity crop is?
1: Sure, it's a crop like uh, basically non edible, if you will by humans. Uh, you have corn for feed cattle, you have I mean but soybeans are are used uh, in food. But it's not something you serve on your table, if you will. Um, And then you have um, just a lot of different things. Cotton is considered that as well. So um, just those things that um, we grow or the farmers grow um, that aren't really consumable except for soybeans and things of that nature.
6: Okay, that's a really cool transition into my next question. Despite this really fertile soil and this great opportunity for agriculture, Mississippi is still one of the hungriest states in the nation. How do we fill that gap, you think?
1: You know, that's a really tricky question. Um, Hunger, I've been working in food insecurity for 15 years. I learn something new every day. And Mississippi, if you look at us, we're not a very walkable community as a whole. And we have transportation issues. We, we're one of the poorest states in the nation. Um, our public um, transportation is is not that great in most areas, especially in the capital city. Um, you have limits on how many bags you can take. And we're talking about grocery stores that have closed in these underserved communities. So our citizens don't have access to it. And one thing we can do is just create more farmer's markets to get that fresh food um, into places because um, they only have access, um, our, and especially in rural areas, our rural citizens only have access to the high-caloric, high-sugar foods because um, it's less expensive, um, it's widely available, and it's easy. And so there are so many answers to that question, and uh, you know there's not enough time in a week for us to cover
6: all that. And like you said, you are a lifelong Mississippian. There was a conference where the president addressed the nation about food insecurity. But mm-hmm. as someone who is very involved in the state of Mississippi, what do Mississippians specifically, as opposed to the entire nation, need to see to see their hunger needs met?
1: Well, again, um, you know, I, I think one thing um, is we need to grow more fresh food. I think we need to and give people access to that fresh food, make it easy, um, make it the easy choice um, to have fresh food over the high caloric um, types of food. I think, um, you know, meaningful legislation uh, could help. I think um, with the healthy food financing initiative that was passed um, in the last five or six years uh, is a good start. However, um, there's no funding in that bill, although it's on the books, and, and this bill would allow uh, the Mississippi Development Authority to um, give grants and loans to retailers who serve, who locate in the underserved communities. So that was something I was very proud to be a part of. But I think we need more. I think increasing SNAP benefits would be great, um, and just period, just access. We got to figure out how to give our citizens more and better and meaningful access to fresh foods.
6: So when you hear of these, you know, President Biden proposed policy change, he revealed some deals and some donations he received from private business entities. Do you hope or think that these promises that he's making are going to influence Mississippi?
1: I always hope they're going to be uh, policies that make Mississippi better and to help our citizens. Although I haven't been able to see um, the press conference yet, um, I, I do hope that new policies and procedures would help better my state. Um, I think, though, too, we grow enough food in the in in the nation to feed every American. It's just a matter of organizations like the Society of Saint Andrew who, who exist to be able to get that food. We got to go get it. And we need more people doing this type of work. There's 133 billion pounds of food wasted in the United States every year. And in order to stop hunger, we could feed every American with that wasted food. 40% of what we grow is wasted in the United States. And that's a very sad reality. And we firmly believe the society of St. Andrew, that there is enough food grown in the state, in in the United States to feed every American. But again, we have to have people dedicated to go get that, to to meet in that gap of the farm can't sell it, get it to market, or the grocery store warehouse reject rejected, to getting it to people who need it to rescue that food.
6: And also in the conference, the president said that he hopes to have hunger in the United States um, eased or fixed by 2030. Does that seem realizable to you?
1: I think it's a lofty goal. You know, I believe that hunger is an an epidemic in in the United States, Um, one of the richest countries in the world. And our citizens um, don't have the ability to eat and don't know where their next meal is going to come from. So, you know, as long as new technologies, new um, ways of of getting this food that's wasted, as long as that still comes, uh, we have a chance, uh, I believe. And yeah, you know, I'm very passionate about this and about uh, food insecurity and trying to fix it in, in my state. Um, but until we all work together, that's a big one, too. We all got to work together uh, to solve this problem.
6: Well, I appreciate thank you so you.
1: much for the opportunity.
6: Yeah. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Langston Moore, yeah. Regional Director for the Mississippi Area of the Society of St. Andrews. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you. I
2: appreciate it. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.